Good day. This is the 21st edition of Free City Radio. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph. Thanks for being with us. It is Tuesday, the 22nd of December, and um, on the show today we have a few interviews and some music um, here in Montreal. Uh, it's been snowing the last few days, um, and it's uh, good once again to share um, some different voices and sounds with you here on Free City Radio. I'm working to release this podcast now uh, every Tuesday, um, so thanks uh, to everybody who's been tuning in and listening. I really appreciate it. I wanted to start the show today with a conversation um, I had actually um, yesterday morning. I called Muhib Saeed uh, from the Media Foundation for West Africa. Uh, Muhib uh, is in Accra in Ghana. Uh, we had a conversation about the efforts uh, being undertaken by um, his organization and others to uh, speak out about um, the rights of journalists in West Africa. We talked specifically about Guinea. Um, I wanted to address that situation because, of course, uh, as we've featured here on Free City Radio before, there's a significant uh, Guinean diaspora here in Montreal. And over the last few years, a number of asylum seekers from Guinea have been campaigning publicly uh, to fight against um, moves by the federal government of Canada to deport them to Guinea. Um, so I thought it was important to hear some context about the situation on the ground uh, in Guinea from um, an organization in West Africa directly that is tracking issues around freedom of the press and also human rights in general. Um, so here's the conversation with Mohib Saeed uh, in Accra. Um, we spoke also about the recent elections in Ghana and uh, talked about the struggles that um, uh, media workers in Ghana, where Mohib is based, are facing. Uh, and he provides some specifics that were not uh, much reported in mainstream uh, press coverage of the elections last month in Ghana. So um, here's the conversation with Mahib. My name is Mohib Saeed. I'm Program Officer for Freedom of Expression at the Media Foundation for West Africa, based in Accra. It's a regional organization that works to promote press freedom and media development across West Africa. Uh, we also a member of the Africa Freedom of Expression Exchange, which is a grouping of 15 of the leading press freedom organizations in Africa. And the Media Foundation for West Africa is the proud host of the Secretariat of Affects. Uh, I coordinate the freedom of expression uh, campaigns, monitoring and campaigns at the Media Foundation for West Africa. I also am uh, responsible for ensuring excellent stakeholder relations between our organization and the Francophone uh, partner organizations that we work with. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Mohib, uh, for this context. Um, so I would like to talk a bit generally about West Africa, but to maybe start, I did want to talk to you about Guinea. Um, 
I noticed that your organization was one of the few um, media and press freedom organizations in the region to speak about uh, some systemic issues in Guinea, in uh, Conakry, of course, um, around press freedom. Uh, there were decisions taken um, in the past six months that uh, have had an impact on press freedom, particularly uh, there was the banning of um, an Al Jazeera reporter. But I know that this uh, tendency also affected local media outlets in Guinea, uh, especially with the decision of the current president to change the constitution and run for a third term um, in violation of the, um, the traditional post-colonial constitution uh, in Guinea. So I'm wondering if you could give us some context about this and why this is of concern for uh, press freedom in Guinea, but also in West Africa more generally. Well, I think in the first place, uh, Guinea's uh, political history uh, has been one of uh, turbulence, and has not really allowed the country to establish very strong democratic institutions. And, and, and so um, the successive governments have always uh, demonstrated very uh, autocratic tendencies. And if I may take you a little back, uh, well, the, found, yeah, the founding president of, uh, of Guinea, was in power for over two decades. Uh, that is uh, President uh, Sekouturi. And after him came Lansana Conte, who also ruled from the uh, 80s, also with an iron hand as a military leader, first of all, and then uh, metamorphosed into a civilian, but with the same uh, iron fists of military rule. And uh, when he also died, we had the military jumping in again with uh, Musa Dadis Kamara. Uh, then the transition, the transitional governments, which ushered into the republic that Guinea is in now with President Alpha Conde. So President Alpha Conde's election was really uh, touted as a watershed that was going to usher the country into uh, a more democratic era. Unfortunately, after his 10 years uh, in power, which is uh, what the constitution had mandated, he decided to revise the constitution and entrench himself. Now, these uh, kind of uh, maneuvers can hardly be done without suppressing critical voices. And, and so, all along the process of changing the constitution through a referendum and subsequently holding the contentious election at, at the end of which uh, he was declared winner for a third mandate, uh, he's had to use very uh, brutal methods, including suppressing the media, uh, censoring foreign media in particular, and also uh, changing the media laws. Uh, for example, um, he 
they have to they have to change the law or that sets up the media regulatory body which is the haute autorité de la communication uh, so that the president have more nominees than previously yes. and then also appoints the head of the uh, media regulatory body uh, as opposed to previous uh, the previous tradition where the commissioners uh, vote to choose one among themselves to be the head so clearly uh, president condes uh, ambition to prolong his stay in power has been done with the law but in a way that bends all the democratic institutions in his favor thank you so much uh, mohib for sharing this context um i realized that um in uh real terms uh, on the ground this has all the context you describe has had a very serious impact on human rights. Uh, also, just to mention, uh, throughout this process, there's been protests against the moves by Alpha Kundi to extend the uh, presidential term limit, and a number of people have been uh, killed in these protests. Uh, human Rights Watch has documented this in detail. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk about uh, the fact that um, particularly the governments of France uh, and also, I mean, here in Quebec or in Canada, um, you know, they, they, they really have said not very much about this, these systemic issues. And, you know, uh, you could uh, point to the very large mining corporate interests in Guinea as um, a context for this, although, you know, this connection isn't made overtly or clearly. Um, you know, I, I, I'm just wondering if you could talk about the fact that there hasn't been any uh, clear recognition of these systemic authoritarian decisions made by um, the current president of Guinea, uh, Alpha Kondi and Conakry. Well, I think uh, there is this uh, strong perception among uh, Africans that Western countries tend to be more uh, to, to, to be more aggressive uh, towards uh, authoritarian governments when these governments uh, on the economic side <clears throat> do not favor Western interests. So as you said in your synopsis, Guinea, there is this large mining interest in Guinea, and uh, it appears that the Guinean authorities have also taken care not to raffle feathers in Paris. And so uh, the attitude in Paris is, is one of, well, it's not broken, let's, let's not try to fix it as far as our interest is concerned. And, and, and so let's just play ball with the government of Guinea. We may reprimand the government when they do something wrong, but in private, but not overtly. And, and that is the attitude that 
Paris has uh, adopted towards the Alpha Conde government, and I, I guess Alpha Conde has also played his cards very carefully uh, in terms of ensuring that he does not uh, <clears throat> attack or compromise France's economic interest in Guinea. Thanks for this um, point. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, your organization is based in West Africa. You're in Ghana, um, the media foundation for West Africa. Um, I know that these issues you're, you're highlighting about press freedom are not um, only affecting Guinea, of course. I mean, in, in where you are now in Ghana, there has been a recent election and um, it's been very difficult for opposition candidates uh, who are critical of the uh, economic uh, direction of the current, both, well, both leading parties in Ghana to get a foothold in, the, in a lot of the mainstream media landscape. I, I realize it's not um, only, you know, I realize that it's a bit more complicated in Ghana in terms of press freedom. Um, however, uh, I'm, I, I just wanted to ask you about the ways that um, it is uh, really important for um, people observing uh, the issues of press freedom in West Africa to speak directly to organizations or advocacy groups like yours who are directly based on the ground. I mean, uh, you know, I've read your bio and, and you know, you've been working in independent media in Ghana for many years uh, and are tracking the situation more uh, more extensively in West Africa. Um, just the importance of local organizations like your own, as opposed to, um, you know, international organizations that are maybe based in France or, or the United States uh, as shaping the discourse. I mean, obviously international organizations like Amnesty are important, but um, why the importance of local groups like your own in, in putting forward these issues. And, and also, if you want to speak at all about what's ha been happening in Ghana, please do. Thank you. Yes, uh, Stefan, the elections uh, recorded some very serious uh, press freedom violations, including the near fatal shooting of uh, a journalist uh, at a coalition center we recorded acts of violence against not less than six journalists in the course of the election. And a, a media organization, the multimedia group, which is one of the biggest uh, media empires in the country, also had to petition the police service to investigate uh, threats that some of its uh, journalists had received online. And we had to issue a statement supporting the call by this media organization for the police to investigate these allegations. Uh, the MFWA expressed disappointment at the fact that the political actors didn't uh, take it upon themselves to uh, train 
and get their, their supporters and militants to appreciate the work of the media and to avoid antagonizing the media during the electoral process. Uh, despite warnings that we had issued uh, ahead of the elections. And these uh, warnings were based on some incidents that were recorded during the primaries and the registration of voters exercise. The primaries for the ruling uh, New Patriotic Party recorded some attacks on journalists. And then during the registration exercise, a journalist was attacked. And, and we flagged these as uh, indicators that we could have some press freedom violations during the elections. And unfortunately, this actually happened. And it feeds into recent uh, trend of deteriorating press freedom uh, environment in, in Ghana. Uh, we've had in the course of the, of the year to grant asylum, uh, asylum to an investigative journalist who came under a barrage of threats after uh, an investigative piece that uh, uh, kind of uh, revealed the corruption on the part of senior uh, government appointees. There was uh, a journalist who also whose uh, investigations led to the resignation of a minister of state uh, who had tried to uh, intervene on behalf of a mining company that had been caught trying to compromise a judge who was sitting on a case in, in, involving this mining company. And after this incident and the subsequent re resignation of the minister who was busted, the journalist came under a barrage of, uh, of threats from, from unknown persons. Uh, one of these journalists involved, called uh, Manasseh Azuria Wini, uh, recently wrote an article decrying the fact that uh, the current uh, government has been very hostile to the media and that uh, the previous governments uh, at least allowed journalists to criticize without uh, showing any kind of hostility against the media. Mm -hmm. So it's quite a matter of great concern to the Media Foundation for West Africa that from the high of uh, being rated Africa's number one in terms of press freedom in 2018, uh, the past two years, uh, have seen Ghana deteriorating very sharply as far as press freedom is, is concerned. Thank you so much for sharing this context, uh, Mohib. Um, and um, if people wanted to learn more about your organization and the work that you do, can you just share with us your website? Yeah, our website is www.mfwa. Dot org. Great. Thanks so much for your time, Mohib. You're welcome, Mr. Khan. That was uh, Mohib Sayed in Accra. 
uh, from the Media Foundation for West Africa. Thank you so much uh, to Mahib for joining the show, uh, Free City Radio. Just a note um, for people in Montreal, uh, part of the reason I did broadcast that, as mentioned before, is the situation facing Ghanaian asylum seekers here in Canada. I thought it was important to have some context and background about um, what's happening um, in regards to press freedom, but also in general in regards to human rights in Guinea and in West Africa. So do keep um, your ears open for this ongoing campaign about Ghanaian asylum seekers here in Canada uh, that's taking place as part of the broader movement against deportations and for status for all. This is Free City Radio and I'm Stefan Christoph. Thanks for being with us. Uh, I wanted to go now to a piece of music I've loved for years. It's from uh, Yusu Nadur's album, uh, Immigre. Yeah, 
by Yusu Nadur from the album Immigre. Um, just an awesome album. That whole album is just beautiful. And this is Free City Radio. I'm Stefan Christoph. This is the 21st edition, and it is the 22nd of December. Thanks for being with us. Next, I wanted to go to a local issue. Um, I, uh, here in Montreal, um, also shout out to anybody who's listening outside of the city. Uh, really appreciate uh, your ears and attention. I spoke with a union organizer from the Fédération de Commerce de les Conseils Syndicats Nationaux. That's the um, Commerce Federation uh, members of the National Confederation of Trade Unions of Quebec. Sometimes uh, titles and organizational names are hard to translate, but um, the the issue here, uh, this is a, a discussion I had with David Bergeron-Cyr, um, David has been really involved in organizing for the rights of Jean Coutu workers. Um, in the last few months, there's been a series of labor actions that have been taking place, particularly in the distribution center of Jean Coutu. That's one of the major pharmacies um, here in Quebec, of course. Um, and what's really a key t- thing to highlight is that these are essential workers, A, and, you know, this is also about the distribution of, of um, medicine and drugs, um, which, of course, during a time of pandemic is very important. This is the distribution of those materials to the pharmacies. Um, I thought this was a really important um, point to focus on because it's been very uh, important to think about looking at the power of frontline workers, not only from the perspective of sort of gestures of support or solidarity, but really to think about what tangible organizational steps can society take, um, you know, collectively uh, to address the 
crisis of working conditions that a lot of frontline workers, especially in the private sector, are facing. Uh, of course, in the public sector, particularly in the health sector, it's, it's very, very brutal. Um, but less uh, focused on in the media has been frontline workers, essential workers in the private sector. Um, so I thought it would be interesting to speak with David because um, it was a, uh, an important example of combative syndicalism or like combative organizing on the part of a union. Uh, and they won a very decent collective agreement. So this is our conversation. So my name is uh, David Bergeroncé. I'm the president of the Federation of Commerce of the CSN. Um, the Federation represents 30,000 workers in 330 um, different uh, local unions. Uh, the warehouse of Jean Coutu is one of them. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm a rank and file member of this local union also. Um, so I used to work at the Jean Coutu. I'm on, I'm on a union leave uh, for uh, 12 years now, but I'm still on the payroll and still a member of this local union. So, and um, we have around, out of those 30,000 workers, we maybe have 15, 20,000 of them that are essential workers also. In grocery stores, meat packing, food processing, uh, hardware stores. Uh, so, so it's been a challenge uh, since the pandemic to, uh, the pandemic to, to, to represent and uh, to build the power for our members. Thanks so much for sharing that. So, in regards to, I, I do want to speak about the general situation, but specifically in regards to uh, essential workers around Jean Coutou, there has been strike actions um, and um, that has uh, gotten some media attention uh, in, more in the Francophone press. Um, can you talk about some of the essential issues that workers were raising Mm -hmm. And also why it's important for people to pay attention to this issue. I mean, a lot of people go to Jean Coutu, but mm -hmm. uh, maybe are not thinking about the warehouse workers, which I know mm -hmm. are very specifically the ones that were taking strike action. Yeah. Um, what happened is that um, the warehouse used to be in uh, Longueuil. And, and three years ago, it moved to another city called Varennes. And when the warehouse moved, it, it also changed everything in the inside of the warehouse. Like 99% of the work that the, 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 the workers used to do was changed now. So it's more uh, automation, more uh, robotics, more, uh, uh, you know, less brains, more muscle. And, and, and more, um, you always do the same repeated work uh, day after day, hour after hour. And... So, so, and when, when the, 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 this, um, this change happened, uh, it created a lot of frustration in the, in, in, amongst the workers because uh, there was the, 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 the collective agreement was not respected in the new warehouse and, and the seniority was, uh, was not respected also in different matters over time. Uh, um, I don't know how to say mouvement medev in uh, English. Uh, mouvement medev is when you apply to a different position uh, inside the, the working place. Uh, you're supposed to respect seniority, and, and this, this was not done properly in the new, the new warehouse. So this created a, a very bad atmosphere. And, and um, at some point, workers were, were even uh, pissed against the CSN union because uh, we had some problems. 
to 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 face the the the, the fact that you know members were were really pissed off. So we had to change uh, the way we were doing things uh, in the in the local union to 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 really represent what they were thinking and to really uh, start putting them in a motion of mobilization and organization of of uh, building power and and you know uh, making sure that they participate the members in 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 any ways that's possible to let the employer know that they're not happy yeah yeah not just like rely on your the president of the local union or some union rep to speak on behalf of everybody you know what's even better is to put out there as much information as you as you can on on the problems that the members are facing and 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 also you know speaking out loud uh, um, the frustration so once you start doing this and you start mobilizing members doing everything we can outside of an illegal strike we, we managed to rebuild the union uh, during those two or three years before the bargaining of the collective agreement and and this collective agreement that just ended not this one but the one before was was a, a long-term uh, contract of eight years uh, which 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 is always a bad thing long long contract even when it's a good contract long contract are bad because they they put to sleep all the members and they forget what's the union all about because uh, you know collectively we, we we are more efficient more more in the mobilizing and developing power structures when we are bargaining collective agreements sure and also conditions change yeah yeah so so um all this lead up to the bargaining the, the, the of this uh, collective agreement just before the pandemic and uh, we started the, the bargaining of the contract with a strike vote of 99.6%. And there was 550 members that were at the meeting out of the 650 members that we have. And we did this by like au um, park, you know, and like when you go to the movies outside, people were in their cars and they could vote this way. So uh, because we were not like on Zoom yet and everything, um, so it was not possible to organize this way, but we did it in a more traditional way, if I can say so. And, and we had a very good turnout and, and a strong vote. So, so and around August, 90% of the normative clause, everything that's not monetary, everything that's not you know, money worth, was, was settled. And we had a very good deal, a very good deal. Um, and we were ready to start bargaining the, the money part. And that's where the shit uh, hit the fan because uh, we were surprised since Jean Coutu was bought by Metro, uh, which is uh, one one of the biggest uh, uh, grocery uh, retail uh, you know company in Canada, and um, and also that their collective agreements in their other warehouses in Quebec for Metro, uh, uh, people are getting paid more than what they do in Jean Coutu, you know. So 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 we were we thought that uh, you know at least we should have an equal pay since we were in the same company now, but it was a high target. It's a high expectations because it, it, there's a big difference, you know. Uh, to just to, they were maybe around thirty dollars an hour, and we were about twenty six and twenty seven dollars an hour. So so there was a big big difference. So, so and, and, and I'm not talking about the sick days and everything, which they had like 14 in a year and we have seven in a year. So there was a wow. big difference. And sick days, it's, it's money, you know. So, 
So uh, what happened is that since uh, we, 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 we saw that, uh, you know, the, the, the bargaining was not going forward for us, uh, we decided to, to go on strike for 24 hours. And uh, what happened is that uh, the morning after the day of the strike, uh, we were on a lockout. So there was a lockout and the lockout uh, lasts uh, at least six weeks until uh, we reach an agreement, which is, which is a, a damn good agreement. It's the best collective agreement we have in 35 years. So wow. it's very, we didn't achieve all the goals we had for monetary, but, but, but we had a very good deal. So workers are, it was, it was adopted around 79%, so it's really high. And, um, and during the, the, the lockout, there was a lot of scabs. So this was a big issue for us. So it created a lot of animosity on the picket lines also. So we had more than 100 members who were arrested by the police and two of our members were fired. Can, can you describe some of those strike actions? Just, just describe for us how it went down and, and, and yeah, just share with us the scene if you can. Yeah. So th th mainly there was two things. You, you had to go on the picket line every day, uh, but not every day. It was, I think it was 20 hours per week you had to do on the picket lines. And you have to go, we were organizing every day or not every day, but every week and many times a week um, demonstration um, in front of other metro warehouses or uh, Jean Coutu uh, or metro grocery stores. No. So Mainly what happened with the, the arrest, the, it was uh, on the picket line in front of the, of the Jean Coutu warehouses because you're not supposed to, um, to, to stop the, the, the cars from going in and out uh, of the warehouses. And, and uh, at the, during the first day, we, we, we hold the line uh, very uh, tight. So nobody was were able to go in or go out. So after 24 hours of the lockout, not the strike, but the lockout, after we received some judges, uh, some judge injunction, injunction, and and it was restraining um, our rights to you know to picket and everything because we were slowing or stopping all the cars and buses and the trucks were trying to come in and out of the warehouses. So so we decided to to let them pass a little bit because if we don't let them pass, we more no, some we, we will be, but we won't be able to do the picket lines at all. You know, so. But what happened is that the weeks went by, and and we found out that there was not only um, employers or uh, people from management who were working and doing our jobs. We found out that there were scabs. So uh, so did did so this what happened is that now the picket line got you know. Tighter and, and 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 now the cars it could took them like 15 minutes uh, to to get out of the warehouses of the warehouse because the workers were stopping the cars yelling screaming having fun actually dancing and and doing everything we can to 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 show that uh, you know we won't be uh, put down by uh, by those illegal uh, practice uh, by the company so at one point. Uh, some some uh, some members were uh, uh, they started screaming and, and yelling and 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 um, getting in an argument with the security that was there with the security that was protecting the scabs and and so that that led to a few arrests 
and 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 there was also like we were following to 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 find out if the, who they were and if they were scabs or not we were following cars when they were getting out of the work so so that that led up to a few arrests also mm-hmm. um so um that's pretty much it but but when we returned to work we on appelle ça un protocole de retour au travail so everybody uh, all the arrests were um all the criminal charges were put down and uh, and the, the, the workers that were fired uh, got uh, rehired so so everything is good and there was an inspector for from the government to watch out to to inside you know to see if there were scabs actually with two of our union reps that that's when we actually got the confirmation that there was at least between 40 and 50 scabs during the day so you might there's you can add more during the evening you know so 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 um, th- this this really started a fire and and we actually never received the the, the report from the inspector uh, i believe i believe i have no proof but i believe that the minister uh, put his hand on on this report and hold it on and and maybe call metro and say hey, you should settle it because that's going to look bad you know so uh, we never saw the report but we know that there was a lot of scabs in there and uh, yeah that's it thanks for sharing that um can you talk about everything that went down and why it's important to you in regards to the context of workers' rights in Quebec? Um, and also just talk a bit more about, you know, I mean, we're talking about health and safety. We're talking about equitable pay. We're talking about, you know, a context of workers having a living wage, you know. Um, and, you know, a lot of discussion has happened in the mainstream media around essential workers and their importance to society. But, you know, the scenes that you're talking about are within warehouses or distribution centers that are far away from the storefront, right? And they're also far away, most often from the cameras. I know that the strike that you're talking about got some coverage in the media, but most of the time we don't see these warehouses. Um, so can you, can you, uh, describe the warehouses, but also just talk about why this these strike actions were important for the general context of the rights of workers to have a living wage and and healthy working conditions in Quebec. Yeah, but it, it, warehouses and also all the food processing and meat packing plants uh, are also uh, unknown and unseen, and people. I I, I think that. You know, sometimes we imagine that all this stuff that gets into those retail stores or grocery store, they got there by magic or something. But there's always a workers that's behind it, either driving a truck, uh, riding a forklift or working on a on a food and on, a, on the chain, you know, working on a chain on the food, in a food processing plant or meatpacking plant. And it's 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 tough jobs. You know, it's it's, it's really hard. And and, and Jean Coutu Warehouse uh, already had fair and good working conditions, but it's all, it's all the, the, the part of, you know, when the Metro bought Jean Coutu, they make a lot of money, yeah? And a lot of money. And during the pandemic, they are still, again, making a lot of money. So, so we need our fair share of, of, of this money, you know, because we are the one working and risking our lives out there, you know? So, so it, it's important to, to during this bargaining, especially at Jean Coutu, it was important that workers uh, express themselves and, and, and show solidarity to, to, reach, uh, to reach their goal. Without, with, without it, it would, have, would not have been possible to reach this kind of uh, high quality collective agreement. 
and 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 it's important because I think it puts on the public eye the importance of essential workers in the private sector. Uh, essential workers in the in the public, you know, health sector are are like super important, and 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 they're living a way a, a, a hell that's a lot worse than essential workers in the private sector. You know, in the, in the public health system, it's just a living hell right now. So, but but. In the private sector, food uh, food sectors we are also important, and and let me bring you the focus also on 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 grocery stores workers who have very bad working conditions compared to warehouse workers, uh, where the average salary is more around fourteen, fifteen, sixteen dollars an hour in the grocery stores. Uh, yeah, maybe the butcher on the back has got eighteen, nineteen, or twenty dollars an hour, but most most of the staff. Is, is close to minimum wage, minimum wage, and 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 this is, uh, I think that it, it raises the question of if the minimum wage is too low. That's the first question, and the second question is is uh, how do we value those so important jobs for our lives? You know, how do we value them? You know, so we need as, to as protect, a society. Yeah, as a society, so we need yeah. to protect those workers and we need to give them a living wage, a fair wage. And, and, and grocery stores, it's not, it's not what's happening right now. And, and this is something that I hope we're going to be able to change. They're going to be able to change, uh, you know, as members of their unions. Well, the last question, uh, David, thanks for sharing all that, is about um, the importance of uh, the left and activists to think locally about the efforts that workers are doing to organize and to address these issues of systemic inequality and workplace injustice. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of, let's say, you know, in, in Canada or even in, in a lot of the liberal media, in a lot of the mainstream media, we see a focus on worker conditions, say, in the United States. But, um, you know, there a lot of these issues are here also. Um, and, um, I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about the importance of people paying attention to the organizing work. Uh, I mean, CSN has been around a long time, but has a very long history of combative syndicalism or uh, combative unionism. I know that is, that's complicated. It's not always perfect. And there's a big struggle also, um, you know, to push CSN in that direction. Um, mm -hmm. But you're part of that. Uh, so, yeah, if you could share any thoughts about this and the importance yeah. of people giving attention. Maybe a few minutes on my central union, the CSN, and maybe a few minutes after on why we should focus on that. But, you know, the CSN union is 100 years old. So, so it's been there since 1921, okay? And it's not always has been... Uh, 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 <laughs> A grassroots a combative uh, union okay so so this 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 change over the years and and since maybe the last 20 or 30 years contracts are, are longer and longer in the private sector and the public sector uh, they, 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 they're having a hard time to to have a real win for the membership you know and, and the contracts are smaller like three four years old but 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 it, they, they don't have big victories as, as much as they should have. And in the private sector, the contracts are five, six, seven, eight years. And I even saw uh, in other, in the UFCW contracts, 10 and 11 years. So 
what's going on is that if you're very combative when you're bargaining the contract, but the rest of the time you're focusing on individual representation, uh, you put aside the most important thing to build working class uh, conscience, you know, uh, which is collective action and solidarity, because you don't use those tools huh, for five years, six years, eight years, because you only use them when you are bargaining your collective agreement. So what, what you do is that you're weakening, uh, you're weakening your, your, the membership during a, a certain numbers of years. And when you are actually starting to bargain the contract six or seven years afterwards, it's, it's, there's a good chance that the membership won't be ready for it because, because you know, they, they, they have no experience or the, 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 the more experienced workers quit or, you know, so, so, so what I'm trying to, to do with, with, with comrades at the CSN, it's to, and this is, it's not, um, you know, I'm president of my federation. I'm not forcing any local unions to do as I'm, as I'm saying right now. You know, some employers are all right, you know, and, 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 and you cannot focus on, 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 um, on uh, combative unionism like I'm talking about uh, every time, everywhere, all the time, every day of the week. That, that won't work. It's not possible. You have to focus on the working places that need you the most, you know, and that they need it the most and, and focus on those working places. So what we're trying to do is, is to develop, you know, power for the workers, by by making you know like uh, by joining them in collective action and mobilizing as much as we can, although we are uh, outside of the bargaining of the collective agreement. That's that's the main the, the main goal that I have uh, as a union man. It's, it's the way I think we're we're gonna bring back more power for them, and that there's gonna be more working class conscience and everything. You know, so. And on the second part of your question, remember me the second part? Uh, thank you. Um, I wanted to talk to you about why it's important that the progressive left um, yeah. thinks about this, this reality and this effort that's happening uh, within union organizing right now in Quebec. Yeah. But I think we're going to very soon, uh, we need, I think not very soon, but right now, but very soon is going to be more important, I think. No coalition Avenir Quebec, our government is a right-wing, sexist, and racist government. And, and, and they're going to put forward um, laws that are going to help the few, huh? the privileged ones and the few. That's what they're going to do. And they're going to do everything they can to weaken the power of the, the, of the working women and men out there. And the first thing that they're going to do at the next mandate is to hit the unions. That's for sure. That's for sure. So, so to be to be prepared to, 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 to face those attacks on the working class, we need to be united, no matter you're a member of a union or not. We just have to be united on the fact that people, you know, need to, 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 to organize and be together if we want to resist those attacks. And those are going to come very, very soon, my friend. If you want to read the article that François Legault did on the Journal Les Affaires in 2014, it's called Moderniser les syndicats. It's on Google if you want to see it. And he's proposing three things in this article. And those three things he's proposing is actually everything that was put forward in the United States for the last 40 years that almost destroyed the union movement in the United States. So, and this is something in this article in 2014 that he presents as a way to modernize unions, imagine. So, 
So exactly. So so we're gonna face this. I'm pretty sure each time that this this prime minister is on a press conference and 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 attacks the credibility of the unions as he was doing it uh, during his press conferences about the the bargaining of the working conditions of the public and health uh, sector. If you, I don't know if you heard it, but a few times you know he was he was putting the blame on the union and 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 um or even even. You know, saying to journalists that you have to make a difference between what workers wants and what their union wants. So this is, you know, presenting the union as a third person is one of the first tactic of a, of a far right anti-worker politics, you know, to, to present their union as something that's outside of them. This is very, uh, and it's all in a way to oppose the general population to uh, workers who are fighting for their rights and to oppose one uh, oppose them against one, one one each other so this is something that he does he did repeatedly during the pandemic and this was i'm sure it was not done uh, it was done on purpose to check test to to see how the population was reacting the unions were reacting and 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 he's testing everything to 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 do when he's going to be reelected, first year of his next mandate, you'll see. First year, exactly like what the Liberals done to us, even the PQ. First year, we're going to have it up the ass. And after for three years, they're going to wish that we're going to forget that we had it up the ass in the first year. And at the last year of their mandate, they're going to give us uh, tax exemptions, you know, so that we're all happy. We're all happy. And, and, and we forgot that, you know, we were... That we were fooled. We were yeah, fooled. Well, I mean, this is divide and con- conquer tactics. Um, the CSN, uh, you know, talking about, you know, the organizing and the economic neoliberalism of the CAC. I mean, there's been a lot of rage directed towards the CAC, uh, Coalition Avenir de Quebec, in the context of, you know, laws that have really tried to work to divide people. Um, and, you know, populist laws like Law 21. But there's been much less focus on things like the reform of taxi laws, for example, which also had a huge impact on immigrant workers. But also more generally, this rhetoric that you're talking about, which is to um, delegitimize the progressive um, labor uh, movement in Quebec. How do you see these things as connected? Yeah. Well, you know, I've been involved in the, in the union movement for 20 years, 12 years as um, uh, in the executive of my federation. And uh, first time with the Quebec Solitaire, Quebec US, it's, it's, we, we, it's the first time that I really feel the support of a political party for the struggles of workers. And, and on top of the support, they actually back their words with actions. And they did some some speaking and motions during uh, parliament sessions, and um, and I think that's that's a very good thing. It's 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 it was amazing. It, it did help us a lot to to put it out there what was going on with the scabs and what was going on with the fact that a, comp- a company put 650 families on the street because it was a, a lockout during the pandemic. And putting the rest of the population, uh, you know, also in a dangerous spot because uh, it's a warehouse that, you know, delivers uh, drugs. Also, you know, the, the, in, in those pharmacies. So, 
So all those things uh, had to be uh, put out there and denoncé, you know, uh, denoncé. Yeah, uh, denounced, yeah. yeah uh, denounced. And, and, and Quebec soldiers uh, did this. They, 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 came to, they came with us on, on picket lines and they, they, they met with the workers. And it, was, and it was something that I felt that was honest, you know, not done be, just because uh, they're politicians and, and they want to, uh, you, know, you know what I mean, uh, No, it was done because they, they in, a, in, in a really, truly honest and, and, uh, way. So I was really uh, happy about it to see, uh, to see, to see support from, from a political party uh, to true support. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak today. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. That was a conversation with David Bergeron-Cyr, uh, who is the president of the Fédération de commerce de les Conseils syndicats national of Québec, the president of the Commerce Federation within the CSN Trade Union Federation of Québec, uh, representing many, many thousands of workers. Um, I thought that was really an important uh, interview to highlight as a local example of the role that unions can play in defending and advocating for the rights of frontline workers. I think um, I wanted to just highlight this for a number of reasons, but one that I feel is really important and something I'm not hearing articulated that much is, you know, um, I feel like a lot of the gestures, uh, you know, of support and solidarity for frontline workers have been really inspiring. At the same time, I think, there hasn't been a lot of thinking about the larger structural issues that um, frontline workers, uh, particularly in the low-wage sector, so in food distribution and distribution for stores like pharmacies, uh, even cashiers, uh, cleaners, um, people who stock the stores, is not just thinking about that work in terms of how to express support, you know, which is, that's good, but to think about strategically and organizationally as a society how the work conditions can change. And I think that unions really have an important role to play in that. Uh, And it's just something to reflect on, I I thought, in the context of that interview. So this has been the 21st edition of Free City Radio. I'm your host, Stefan Christophe, here in Montreal. Uh, If you'd like to subscribe to the podcast or tell your friends, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. Just search Free City Radio. We also broadcast every week on CKUT Community Radio in Montreal at 90.3 FM, Wednesdays at 11 a.m. If you want to get in touch with me about anything, I'm at stefan.christoff at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at Spirodon. That's S-P-I-R-O-D-O-N. And uh, thanks again for tuning in. Um, it's the 22nd of December. Hope you're all doing well. I wanted to end the show um, with a piece uh, by a Quebec classic. This is Jean Leloup with Les Fourmis.
des ascenseurs de fourmis, des océans de fourmis, des galaxies de fourmis, des échangeurs de fourmis, des myriades de fourmis. Oh, oh, oh.
Oh.